Hello and welcome to the Fire Up Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Trapin. It's one of my favorite hours of the week. It's time to spill the tea. This show started out as a mini-series in March of 2020. It was a way of gathering our divine sisterhood together during the pandemic, and it's still going strong. If you're new here, welcome. Nearly every week, Molly McKinley and I get together to sip tea, do some breath work, recite affirmations, lead meditation moments, and have a conversation about what we're reading, seeing, or doing. All with a focus on keeping a balance of divine feminine and masculine energies at our table. Most of the time, it's the two of us. Sometimes we have a fellow soul-centered author or entrepreneur join us. Take a moment now to pour your favorite beverage, pop in your earbuds, and snuggle into your coziest spot. Or head outdoors for a walk if you prefer. And then get ready to listen in on this hour of togetherness. Hello world, it's Tuesday, which means it's time to spill a tea. And we have a very very exciting show for you today. We have a special guest, Lucy H. Pierce. We'll introduce her after breathing and teeing. Uh, but just know, put your seatbelts on. If the kids are around, send them out of the room or pop the earbuds in because we're <laughs> going to have wild woman conversations today. All right. You've been warned. <laughs> All right, Molly, you ready to breathe us in? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, because of your inspiration to your book, Lucy, uh, Burning Woman, we're going to do uh, Breath of Fire. Um, mm. And we're going to fire ourselves up here um, and prepare for this. So let's everybody find that comfortable seat, rooting through those sitting bones, reaching through the crown, maybe closing the eyes, just finding a nice centering breath, breathing in through the nostrils and out through the mouth. So this breath, we are going to take our peace fingers here and we're gonna put them right at the diaphragm and we're gonna pull the belly in. So, so it's the, the breath of fire is sort of a, a pumping of the belly, like a... And um, what we're doing here is we're, we're, we're heating ourselves up. Um, so just the peace fingers at that, the diaphragm, pulling the belly in and just for uh, a few rounds here of just sucking breath in, pulling that navel in. Big breath in together and exhale release. The anecdote to that um, breath of fire is the, the cooling breath where we, we curl our tongue. So and pull the sip it in. So just uh, the the yin and the yang of the two breaths there, the heat breath and the cooling breath. So I love that. Well, and what's so fun about that is we did the cooling breath on one of the first few shows. And we, we just celebrated two years, Lucy, of Spill the Tea. And so we did a replay of our first. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And the first time we did the cooling breath, we were laughing so hard. <laughs> I mean, we really needed it because we had all just gone into shelter in place because of the first round of COVID and everybody was, you know, sc screaming and crawling on the walls. But uh, it's kind of fun to, as we're entering into our third year to do the breath that's heating us up from within. Okay. <laughs> um, real quick, what's in everybody's cup or does everybody have a cup? Oh, you I have our, glass. I do. I have our uh, breakfast company cup from Enid. Oh, I love it. And what's inside? 
I'm actually not t- sipping tea, which is funny because Lucy, I have a tea company, so we're always sipping teas. Oh. Um, <laughs> but today I have coffee and it's because I want to be fully caffeinated, present, all of this, because Lucy is someone that we have admired and followed for years. And so like being here in your presence is like next level. So we're very excited. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm sipping intentionalities. I'm sipping equality. Excellent. So, Thank yes. you. Yes. So uh, this is the one caffeinated tea that intentionalities does have right now yes um, and it is a it's peach it's got a peach flavor to it so it's yes. delicious it makes me feel like summer is around the corner for sure oh and she's in isis and i'm gonna get, get, get... oh yeah <laughs> i'm gonna get kicked off the podcast because um i don't drink tea <laughs> i don't drink oh. coffee either <laughs> i never quite grew up so um, I have my flat seven up with water because I have a dodgy COVID stomach. So I am on eating white food and drinking sugar water, trying to keep stuff down and in. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's that's crazy. How can you be an English woman who doesn't drink tea? That's that seems like a whoosh. <laughs> It doesn't make you very popular. Everyone invites you in for a cup of tea and you're like, because uh-uh. like, I live in Ireland and it's the same here. Like, you know, it's such a social thing. And I just have to say, I'll have a glass of water. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking you were in England, but you're in Ireland. So where where exactly are you? Tell t- give us the, the high level and then Deborah will read your bio. Okay, so I was born here in Ireland, um, grew up in the UK uh, because my parents divorced when I was very small and I've moved back here to have my kids. And so I've lived here for uh, 17 years now. So I live on the south coast of Ireland um, on the Celtic Sea and I have a lovely mongrel accent, which is kind of English, kind of Irish. No one can quite figure me out. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, I love it. You keep keep us all guessing, which is which is a beautiful thing. Okay, so let me read a little bit about you for our audience that hasn't heard oodles about you over the last two years. Uh, So you have on your Instagram, you have author, publisher, vibrant artist, teacher, mother of three. And Lucy H. Pierce is driven, listen to this, everyone, is driven by a need to create, connect, and inspire a best-selling author, vibrant artist, respected publisher, and editor. Her work focuses on self-knowledge and healing through creativity, archetypes, and cyclical living. Come on now. She gives voice to the soul, the spiritual, the liminal, the darkness and discomfort, and the magical in the midst of the mundane. Often described as raw, authentic, and life-changing, her work encourages authentic paths to self-expression and is celebrated particularly by highly sensitive and neurodivergent women. She is drawn to connecting with the seasons of the soul and, and world through writing, painting, digital art making, clay work, photography, and seasonal spirals made of pebbles, seaweed, leaves, and more. She is ever drawn back to the circle and spiral in her personal practice. She loves circle dance, women's ritual, sacred space, and music. Her award-winning books include Burning Woman, Creatrix, She Who Makes, 
Moon Time, Medicine Woman, and her most recent, She of the Sea. Lucy is the founder and creative director of Womancraft Publishing, which we'll talk about a little bit later. It was established in 2014, and they publish life-changing, paradigm-shifting books for women, by women for women. She is the mother of three and lives on the south coast of Ireland. Welcome, Lucy H. Pierce. Mm. Seriously, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> So let's, let's dig in. um, And before we talk about books, let's talk about what is on your heart right now. You know, we're, we're, most of the world is starting to um, come out of COVID yet. We still have a plague. uh, We have a war. We've got all sorts of things flying around. What does Lucy H. Pierce think about on a daily basis? What is setting your soul on fire? So my the first three months of 2022, I was going to say 2012, my God, <laughs> gone yeah. back in time. If um, only, right? Has been, yeah, has been basically in bed for me. Um, I have just had bug after bug, virus after virus, just sick, sick, sick. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've had a, I've had a UTI, I've had um, constant migraines, I've had uh, flu, I've had COVID, and the COVID's gone on. And this is despite being, you know, triple vaxxed against COVID and vaccinated against flu and, you know, all that joy. <laughs> so I'm mm. feeling pretty, pretty fed up with being sick. Mm. Um, just really frustrated because I'm somebody who has a really high paced creative energy to me um and so being sick in bed uh, you know all that energy just gets stuck inside my body all kind of mm. yucky and ugh. um and so the inner critic comes stomping around and mm. I just generally feel frustrated at myself and at the world and um yeah so it's been a pretty pants few months to be honest and I'm not somebody who is um who is I was going to say immune to sickness like I've I wrote Medicine Woman because I'm the sort of person who gets sick a lot I have an immune system which has been pretty shredded by kind of early childhood trauma so I do get sick a lot not not bad hospitalized sick not Mm -hmm. cancer sick but Mm -hmm. constant low-grade sick in bed sick Mm -hmm. um so yeah, it's like, it's just that thing of being back here and wishing I wasn't, you know, I've got book projects I want to be working on. I've got a company I'm supposed to be running and I'm just feeling really frustrated at having to constantly cancel things and make apologies for being sick. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I think that tough. if anything, the last couple of years have taught us to give one another grace around health. You know, I, I, mm. I mean, I think a, a circle, our, our inner circle in particular, you know, we've, We've all learned a lot about each other and how we value our health by how we've kind of walked mm. through what we've experienced and what we've seen. Um, so I, I, my heart, my heart aches for you that that you are walking through that. I'm so thankful you're here with us today. Mm, totally, um, we'll it makes sure it even to, more important, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, health is—it's <laughs> so interesting. It's when we don't have our health, we realize how truly deeply important it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I am believing that the final nine of the year are going to be filled with health and fun projects and not having to cancel anything unless you want to. 
So let's, let's say that. So <laughs> yeah. let's, let's talk about um, Burning Woman. Let's yeah. start with her. Can, uh, can because... we just do one thing really quickly? Because sure. in your bio, you said neurodivergent. And I do think before we hit mm. Burning Woman, let's okay. define what that is. Because that is really brilliant before, you know. Okay, so neurodivergent is a term that has really only come up about in the last kind of three years, I'd say, into the kind of the, the public realm. Yeah. And it is used to describe anybody whose brain is wired a little bit differently. So it includes autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD. Um, it's for me, it means that I have been diagnosed with um, autism um, as when I was just 37 um, and ADHD. Um, and basically, it is a way at looking at those of us with dif differently wired brains through a non-medicalized model mm -hmm. and a non a non-fault making model. So rather than saying that the world is normal and there is something wrong with you, you have a condition or you have a disorder, rather it is saying, no, you have a perfectly normal brain. It's just wired in a slightly different way. So there are neurotypical people who have brains that work in the way that we expect normal. I'm doing air quotes there for, for us. Um, people to act and be and mm -hmm. then neurodivergent means an umbrella term for those of us whose brains are wired a little differently mm -hmm. so that's there's some great uh instagram <clears throat> profiles that really do talk a lot about that topic mm -hmm. and and younger people um in in their 20s and uh, that are really embracing that language yeah. it's it is mm -hmm. i, I what you know, I, I think that it's so easy to, to focus on the things that haven't changed or haven't, haven't been um, solved, you know, the, the, however, we have incredible conversations, these, we, we, this, that term alone, neurodivergent, mm -hmm. um, you know, my husband is a recruiter in the corporate world and they, he was telling me this morning about how at his company, they have a board where all the recruiters kind of come to talk about, like, hey, I've, I've got a, a, a new type of, of candidate today. I've, so somebody came in who's visually impaired and they've never done a screen with somebody who cannot see. Mm. And it's, he was like, well, and we have this with this rule of thumb inside. It's always person first. So I have mm. a person interviewing that has visual impairment, not a blind person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. I mean, this is a major organization that he recruits for. I thought that it, that is needs to be celebrated, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That we are, we're starting to hear those conversations. Now it doesn't mean everything's solved, but I do love to hear and see it um, woven in, moving into bio. I think having, yeah, I think having language for it, having language that is not shame-based, isn't deficit-based, isn't medically-based, but that is a way of talking about your reality. I think it's vital because for so many of us, that part of ourselves has been something that we've had to hide. We've been ashamed of, embarrassed about. We haven't understood about ourselves. Other people haven't understood it about us. Other people have shamed us about it. And so a lot of people can be very anti-labels. They kind of feel like there's too many labels. Everyone's got a label now. But the reality is, 
you're going to get a label one way or the other. I would prefer to be labeled as autistic and for people to understand what that means rather than um, weird, odd, strange, you know, all of the other things, the labels that stick to you when you get bullied. So, you know, I would prefer to have a label that works, a label which we, we can all understand what that means as kind of shorthand. Mm, that's beautiful. So good. Is so and not have to mask anymore, not have to hide myself, not have to hide large parts of myself and not have to try to constantly fit in to the detriment of my own physical and mental health. Exactly. I would, yeah. yeah. I was like, that's the perfect segue in The Burning Woman, right? Like that's, to me, like that is that segue of what, of what Burning Woman is all about, really. For sure, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, in particular... Uh, for women, which of course the book is written for, because it's burning woman, not that a man cannot read it. And I highly recommend that you do. Um, but this, this concept, that, <laughs> <laughs> right. This, this, this concept that we as women have been terrified for centuries to truly step into and express our truth. Yes. Like mm-hmm. the, the truth of yeah. who we are, whether that is that you, um, that your brain runs differently than others or uh, what your sexual orientation is or your belief structure, whatever it might be, but that there's this been this hiding, like we need to hide mm-hmm. for fear of mm-hmm. being burned in some way, shape or form. And so, yeah, beautifully. Um, I, I would love to know why burning woman when you wrote it like what was going on in your world where you were like it it's damn time this mm-hmm. book needs to be birthed <laughs> what was going on lucy that is a really good question that nobody's ever asked me <laughs> and i'm trying to take myself back there like i'm trying to think okay so For me, I had, um, so Burning Woman is actually connected to my discovery of my own neurodivergence. Um, I just didn't know it at the time. I didn't have any language for what that was at the time. I didn't know what the it was, but I knew that there was an it. (laughs) So um, it started with what I call a baptism of fire which was, I started uh, Womancraft Publishing and then I had one of these bouts of hell, ill health that I'm having at the moment of antibiotics followed by more antibiotics, followed by more antibiotics for worse and worse infections of various sorts, um, which then sent my mental health into kind of a tailspin. And Then there was a women's red tent that I'd set up with another couple of women that exploded in my face and completely just just sent me running. I just my whole nervous system was so shot with having been ill and then being accused of. Basically, I was being accused of being autistic in plain sight, but they didn't know I was autistic and I didn't know I was autistic. And so I just got blamed and shamed for who I was in a space, which was horrific. Mm. Um, And 
then it kind of carried on with you know a car crash which wrote off the car and then all the money from our first uh womancraft book having to go to pay for that car because it wasn't my car it was my dad's car so we w- were only third party insured and you know it was just it was month after month after month of that so you can imagine how my nervous system was at the end of those few months right um so that was the entry point for me um this this oh there was also another big blow up in a couple of online groups i was on where again i seemed to have upset people in a way that I didn't know what I'd done or how I'd done it but they were gunning for me and big time and I was terrified but instead I was being made out to be the bad person and I was like I don't understand what is happening in the situation all I know is I am scared right now I'm not wanting to fight anyone and I am under attack Mm. and so it was this thing of what is this about women wanting to take down other women Mm -hmm. what is this thing that we turn our our fire on other people to basically burn them alive what is this dynamic because I don't understand it I don't know what's happening here but it's really scary and when it happened to me I had so many people because like first of all I went to ground and I just hid and I was scared shaking crying couldn't stop and in deep shame that this had happened and then I just when I finally got the courage to share because people kept saying what's what's happened what's happened I finally got the courage to share so many people reached out to me said something so similar has happened to me you know Mm. um and it was this really shared experience of shaming when women step out in their power in their truth to speak their truth to do their thing out in the world and they get walloped by somebody Mm. else trying to shut them down shut them up Mm. um in a really like out of the blue kind of way and it's like what is that thing Mm. so I wanted to explore that dynamic the, the the witch burning dynamic that we still have in our culture sometimes it comes from from authorities but a lot of the time it comes from other women so what's that and then just looking at the language that we use to talk about passion uh our passion for something so we say we're like on fire with something we're you know she's satellite with with passion or desire or you know we we use um lots of metaphors for uh our need to express ourselves, our desires. At the same time, we use this, we also use metaphors of fire to say when we are being attacked. So mm-hmm. it's like, what is this kind of two-way burning from within and burning from the outside? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that about? Because it's a dynamic we're talking about. It's an archetypal thing that so many people experience, which when we're in it ourselves, all we are aware of is the pain and the fear and the shame and the absolute terror of the experience. But when we are able to step back slightly, we see that we're not alone in it. This is a dynamic that plays out again and again and again. So it's like we feel this, this rising of energy, of fire, of desire within us that we want to express. 
But because of that fear of being burned from the outside, of being shamed, of being shut down, of being cancelled, we we shut up. We don't share that. We don't express that because of that absolute terror of mm. what will happen if. Because we've seen it around us. Yeah. We've seen it in our friend groups. We've seen it with celebrities we've seen it on the political stage we've seen it throughout the pages of history women who step up women who stand out women who dare to express themselves and their truths in their ways tend to get shut down not just a little bit but violently yeah and we are lucky that in our current culture we are reasonably and i say reasonably physically safe to express ourselves yeah. mm. There are plenty of women who are not physically safe and historically we have not been physically safe. So it's not just to worry about being shamed, although being shamed is still a big deal. You lose friends, you lose livelihoods, you lose, you know, there's a lot to lose. It's not just a bad feeling, yeah. but that, that terror of actually being burned alive, that terror mm. of having acid thrown at you, if you dishonored your family, like it's a real thing that, that women especially have been controlled by yeah. do not shame us do not step out and express what is not acceptable to us or you will be punished right mm. and that is a dynamic of patriarchy which women have then learned to turn on each other mm. yeah you know what what's so coming to mind what i was wanting to mm. yeah yeah what's coming to mind when you're saying this is is the first memory I have of something like this would be when I was, I got my period when I was nine. So, mm. and I remember how it would, I had to be, it had to be a secret. Like, I mean, my girlfriends knew, but like to mm -hmm. go to the bathroom, right. You had to shove whatever protection you're using, like in your pocket or in your sleeve. And, you know, you girls, we all wore our sweatshirts around our waist just in case there was an accident because we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Like being a woman and bleeding was shameful. Mm. And, and so there, while there isn't, um, the, the violence of the acid, right. There is, there, there is a bit of, um, maybe metaphorical acid on our, on our souls and the ability to speak our truth, because we're taught already automatically this natural, beautiful cycle our bodies go through is shameful. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's so many women who are still mm -hmm. there, right? I think the next generation's getting better. I do. Mm -hmm. I think they're better. Um, but that's, that's what comes up is this, wow. I mean, at nine or 10, we're taught hide, hide being a woman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. wow and we're just taught it in pretty much every arena of our lives from the very beginning like you know you don't express what your understanding of Oops, i think we're having some internet issues or is that is that me or is that god you? is unless you live in a have been brought up in a very to express your own am i okay uh, you're back. You, we, we lost you. We had a little bit of a delay there, but you were saying to express your body is, is where we kind of lost you. Okay. So yeah, no, just that we, we learned to, to feel shame about all of our 
natural instincts, our physical selves, like every aspect, we, we aren't taught to express what comes naturally to us. We are taught to always express it through the lens of patriarchal culture, through, you know, the approved religions, through, uh, you know, subjects as they're allowed to be within education. You know, we just, I, what I found when I was researching Burning Woman was whilst most of us have a historical awareness of what, you know, what happened with the witch burnings, a lot of women have some sort of either past life experience or kind of cellular kind of understanding in themselves, which when they are close to something that is going to shame them or shut them down in some way, some experience of getting burned metaphorically, this arises in them. Like it's, it's a, it's a real physical cellular thing for them. It's not just a kind of a, it's not just a metaphor. Like it's, it's, in in our cells still yeah. somehow um, and what we have to understand about the witch burnings is like the vast majority of these people who were burned as witches weren't witches like they were just people they were just people going about their daily lives who had pissed somebody off pissed the wrong person off yeah being a little bit odd lived on the edge of town you know had a cat that had a crooked tail you know it had a mole on their face yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, very few of them would have had any interest, idea, anything about witchcraft in, in the way that the Catholic Church would have considered it. Like, they weren't interested in demons. They were just people doing their lives, but who happened to be on the edge of that mainstream culture or have crossed the wrong person at the mm. wrong time. Oh, and yeah. that is scary. I mean, that is the that is the crux of 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 what Burning Woman is. It's how do we find the safety and the courage in ourselves to be able to express the fullness of who we are when on every level of ourselves we have learned that that is dangerous. Mm. Mm. I, those words, Lucy, like are like jumping into my soul because I mean, I do feel like those of us who, who try to walk wholly, you know, um, you know, again, you're, you're hundred thousand percent, right. It's just, you're just always faced with this, you know, internal dialogue of don't push it too, too hard. Right. Like just do it enough. Girl. That the- introduce it, introduce it, but don't go fully out there. Right. Um, you know, from a cellular level, my sister, um, you know, we did DNA tests and then my sister did a bunch of research, um, when all the DNA stuff started becoming popular and we were able to trace our ancestors from Essex, England to Essex, um, Massachusetts. And, um, John Endicott, the first governor of Massachusetts is, is one of my family members. And, um, you know, so we actually were witches, <laughs> you know, like we, we were, I mean, you could see the lines direct from Essex to Essex, you know, and it was so validating in a lot of ways because, um, you know, like we're, we survived, 
you know, we're here. So, you know, we're, we for somehow escaped those um, burning times of, you know, you know, and, and my sister found these documents that had um, like my family members who were in court, basically um, testifying that their neighbors weren't witches, right? That in fact, they were just, you know, people. And, um, you know, I think about mm-hmm. that often because the bravery required to, you know, stand up mm-hmm. because somebody, um, you know, was a midwife, right? They delivered babies and a baby died. Mm-hmm. And so they were a witch then, right? And they cursed the child. And it's just, yep. it, you know, those days, they, although they, they are in history, that's not that long ago. Um, you know, the, the parallel to today and even legislation about not saying gay in school, like these are those things that I don't think people connect the dots. Um, how well, midwifery in, in the U.S. In the U.S., midwifery is still a very fringe kind of thing, isn't it? Is. it? You know, like whereas in hospitals in England, you have mid and in Ireland, we have midwife led units where there isn't a consultant to be seen it is just all midwives here in Ireland we have a home birth um, midwifery service which is now integrated with the hospital so that if you need to transfer to the hospital you can I had three home births myself and I didn't know I was autistic at the time I was pregnant but I have an absolute terror of hospitals so for me giving birth in a hospital was not an option like uh, there would have been major trauma major shutdown and w- instead I had three babies at home in you know with ease and with joy and you know being able to be supported in my space with a person that I knew and that was just massive but at the time they were taking away insurance from the midwives because they didn't trust the home birth service because one baby somewhere had died at some point. You know, they don't mm-hmm. focus on how many babies die in the hospital under that system. Right. But mm-hmm. there was this terror. So they wouldn't insure the midwives. So the midwives couldn't work. So in during my second pregnancy, I was having to be. I was having to be a burning woman. I didn't know what that was the term for it, but I was having to be in the media heavily pregnant I was having to go to meetings with the health service executive I was having to get our public representatives to bring this up in our um, parliament to to make a change and fast because otherwise I couldn't have a baby where I needed to have a baby like you know my my timeline was very very small because my belly was getting bigger by the day and but there was that that distrust distrust of women serving and helping other women Mm, yeah and yet now we've got to the stage where actually that is now supported by the hospital and integrated with the hospital Mm. you know so we've come a long way even in that time but there is still as you say that basic distrust there it's not a long time ago thing Mm -mm. well you know I'm also like I've got, I've got goosebumps um, mm-hmm. because we, we, we have this one side of the conversation, Lucy, that, and I think all of us were, were right back in the situation where we felt like you did right. Being attacked by a, a group of, of other humans that, that were, were women. Right. And I think that so many, a lot of my work in, in my practice is, is helping women em- empower themselves, right. Mm-hmm. And being their intuitive guide and helping them see where they got stuck. Yeah. 
because I think a lot of us get stuck there. But so you have this, 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 we all have the stories there. And, and yet you're, you're also shining a light on, well, the patriarchy is telling us that when we are circling around each other, when we are helping each other, that that is not to be trusted. Mm. Right. And so, oh, mm. oh gosh, I yeah. spit, I'm like, I'm, I feel like that, that burning is inside my chest. Yeah, about uh, Alethea, right? It's the Alethea, <laughs> exactly. The Alethea, the, that, the, that there is this, there's another layer that of unlearning of shedding that we are all walking through together. And I feel like that this age group of women who are in their forties and fifties, there's this, this blossoming Mm. and, Mm. and it's, it is in part Lucy because of books like burning woman Mm. that, that dare to explore this, that, and when you really shine a light in the dark corners in this book, Mm. And, and you, there's, there's two lines that, that still stick out to me. One of them was when you were talking about how we paint our faces with this, like, um, beige, like women paint their faces with beige, right. Put makeup on. Um, I never looked at makeup through that lens. Mm. Right. And so like that to me was life-changing in how I prepare myself in the morning. Right. Um, so you, you, I didn't even know that was a dark corner, Mm. but you also give this story, share this story. Um, and I'd love for you to, to kind of walk us down this where you were, I believe you were in Japan and there was that little dark door, the little door that you went in. Yeah. You're like, you're smiling. Mm, Yeah. Um, I love that story. Would you share that with the, with the audience? (laughs) So The context of that, I'll just give that first, is that as women, we are taught to be afraid of the dark. Mm. So culturally, patriarchy is dichotomous. White, good, dark, black, bad. We see it on every level. We see it on racist levels. We see it um, in religious terms. So we are taught that on on a metaphorical level but also on a very literal level women are taught to be afraid of the dark because women are prey in the dark if you go out at night by yourself and you get attacked that's your fault because you shouldn't have been out there you stupid woman right so we are taught early on to almost accept that we are prey and that we should be afraid of and therefore keep away from the dark. And that includes the dark places in ourselves. We should shut down our shadow selves, keep well away from them. We should be good girls and stay in the light. So a large part of Burning Woman is about reaching into those shadowy places, refusing the darkness as what patriarchy says it is, which is, all negative, all dangerous, all bad. And instead looking at it in what I call the feminine dark, where a woman is not prey. It is the darkness of the mother's womb. It is the darkness of the infinite universe around us, which is a crucible of creativity. It is where all things are possible and all things come from, where your outer senses don't work but you know so much. So if we can approach our inner darkness in that way, our shadow places in that way, as places of 
infinite power and potential, not things that we need to be scared of. We've taught to be scared of them. And so we've pushed them away, but actually they're not scary. So one of the things that I discuss is the literal dark and how to begin not being scared in the literal dark, because as within, so without. So I share a couple of stories in there. One is about when I was living in Japan, there was this um, very, very famous temple in Kyoto where we were living for nine months and it's called Kiyomizo Temple. And it's a beautiful tourist attraction, one of the most popular places in Kyoto and Kyoto is the biggest tourist attraction in Japan. So. Mm -hmm. Thousands upon thousands of people go there every day to see this beautiful ancient temple, the cherry trees in the spring, the beautiful fall leaves in the autumn. And just before you get in there, there's this little Shinto shrine, which it has its like its red um, archway and the Japanese go there to pray. And just beside it is this tiny little kind of path leading in. And it's, it's off the main tourist track. So all the tourists go straight ahead, but you need to come around to the left to go into this. And you go down and it takes you under the ground, under the shrine itself. And you're holding on to a red, uh, kind of like those kind of thick ropes that they have, you know, kind of on, on, on dividers, you know, on, on a red carpet or something, you know, nice, thick, rich red rope. And for me, that was very powerful because the red thread is a very powerful part of feminine culture. Um, oh, lovely. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the idea of this thing that connects us all. Mm. And uh, women often use it in women's rituals. And so for me, the red thread is really powerful. So there I was with my hand on the red thread and you walk down and the, the ground is sloping down and down and spiraling at the same time. And so there are other people there in front of and behind you, but you know, a, a decent space behind and it is completely pitch black. Like you cannot see a thing. And so hmm. you lose track of exactly where you are in space or time or anything, because to be in such pitch blackness is really strange in our culture. We like, we're, we're so saturated by light and especially the unwanted light that to be in a place of complete darkness but also a space that has been sacred for hundreds upon hundreds of years and has had these footsteps just wearing these stones thinner and thinner for hundreds of years and you just the only thing you have to guide you is this rope and you run your hand along the rope and mm. the, your hat your feet are going down and you're spiraling and spiraling and just when you think this is getting a bit much. I can't do this anymore. I don't know where I am. It's too much. You start spiraling out into the light. Mm -hmm. But it was such a powerful thing. And the, the guardian of it is, is a, a small Japanese monk and you have to pay him the money before you enter. And so I came out and I nearly just paid him the money to go straight back in. It was just so hmm. powerful, a journey hmm. spiraling into the darkness mm. and learning to overcome the fears as you do yet knowing that you are in sacred, safe space. Mm. Mm. It's so beautiful. And what, what struck me when I was listening, because I listened to the book the first time I, I 
soaked it in on my walks at the beginning of the, the shelter in place. Mm-hmm. And I remember exactly where I was on my walk when you were describing this story. Mm-hmm. And what, what really stood out to me was that you said, not everyone knows it's there. You mm-hmm. actually, you mm-hmm. have no. to be brave and ask you have, you, yeah. you, it doesn't just show up for everyone. Mm-hmm. And no. that was so, profound. no, so everyone goes like, walking by past it. Everyone goes on the main road past it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you have to know where to look. You have to know that it's there. There's no, when I was there, there were no English signs. Like you had to know and you had to ask and you had to find the little Japanese monk standing in front of it and pay him the money and walk on through. Mm. Yeah. Well, that is exactly where we're going. Um, That's, you know, because we don't want to go where everybody else, we want to go deep. And I think that's the, the energy of this awakening of the sacred feminine that we feel happening. This unfolding right now is the, the willingness to, to go in, you know, you know, my, my background is yoga, right? So the learning how to go in, um, you know, but the, the language is the same of the, you know, the exploration of the unseen, the going inside, not the external, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that example mm-hmm. that you shared is a beautiful, um, like literal experience of that, of going and not being afraid of, of the dark or, or the next step or, um, and I do think that's the, the evolution of what women, where we need to be is, is stop being afraid of the dark. You know, we have to stop being prey, but the only way that you not, you, when, when you become, when you, the only way you cannot become the prey is when you don't consider yourself, you know, but we don't have to be predators either. You know, it's Mm. just, Mm. how do we bridge that gap? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I felt when, after I, so I listened to it twice on my walks because, you know, you, you just do that <laughs> or I do that. When Deborah <laughs> loves a book. She reads it. She like listens to it back to back. I'm, I'm old school. I have oh. to, you know, I have to yes. read it like, yes. with the hard well, I, I get the book, I get the audio and I get the Kindle so that I can do the saving of the bookmarks that attach to the Kindle. So that when I come back, like I have a whole process. So, <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> but, but the, what I, what I loved about it is that so much of the conversation around divine feminine or sacred feminine or, or rising the, this feminine is around the victimhood of women Mm -hmm. in this. And yours is not, this is like, reclaim thy power. It's always been yours. Mm. So it's just time to say, you know, I call my power back from all times and all places like Thecla, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is not, Mm We, we don't, no one needs to give us permission and, yeah. and you are reminding us of that. And, and, you know, in the green room, before we went live, we started talking about this, this idea of becoming our truest selves in front of others. And I think it's the, I'd love to talk about that as we lead into creatrix, because that it, it's, it's a very well woven together. So mm. Um, this idea of, and, and for those of you who listened to our conversation, our second chat with Tara Nicole, this will sound familiar. The, um, we start out as one thing, a marketer, a consultant, an author, 
and we start to learn and read and grow and stretch and in front of our audience, in front of our world, in front of our people, our connections, our relationships, we start changing. And Mm -hmm. we, the more we learn, the the more wisdom we gain, the more, the the faster, I think we want to get to that truest self and step Mm -hmm. into our sacred contracts. So, uh, Lucy, how have you, how have you stretched and grown in front of your audience with each one of these books? And like not just audience, but your people, your family yeah. too, right? Yeah. And yes, mean, yes, your, your people. Yes. Yeah. So the audience question is actually the really interesting one because I started out as a journalist, I guess you could call it, like as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a writer of articles and a magazine editor in the past parenting world so people knew me first from that from writing interviewing you know Ina May Gaskin Michelle O'Don you know big names in the parenting world um Ricky Lake about her uh, business of being born um thing you know and and writing my passion was was you know left field it was about home birth, natural birth, breastfeeding, um, natural parenting, attachment parenting, trying to bring that more into the mainstream. Um, But that's where I started out. That's where I kind of first found my voice. And I I did it because that's where I was at the time. Like I had tiny, tiny children. That's what I was doing all day, every day. That's what I was researching. So that's what I was writing about. That's what was my special interest. Um, Whereas, and so I, I became quite known um through the magazine i i um was contributing editor and and um columnist for and my associated blog but soon i kind of started to feel a bit trapped by that and i was like this isn't all me there is so much more me that needs expression and i'm starting to feel boxed in by that so just starting to kind of share the things that I was exploring. I did um, uh, an e-course with a fabulous woman who's sadly passed on now, um, Colette Quinn, called The Cunt Loving Quest, all about embracing and accepting our female bodies, especially our genitals, really learning to connect to them creatively is, was her main thing. Through, she, she did it through poetry, through art, through performance, through discussion, just to really embrace that part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a piece on my blog using the word cunt in that context, not in an aggressive context, not in a... In a um, in any way that would be considered a a a nasty way but in Mm -hmm. talking about the sacred wonder of our body and reclaiming this word because for her that was a big part of her work was reclaiming that word Mm. and my my people got really upset at me they didn't like that I was starting to step out of being this nice you know mommy parenting writer and why Mm. am I writing about things like that and they informed me that they were no longer going to follow my work and so I cried a tear not really and gone on with my life but you know what I mean like people feel the need to tell you that the whole you that you're daring to show a little bit more of is not acceptable so please put that back away again and be the 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 nice kind of safe version of you that I feel safer around Mm. and so that has been my experience kind of stepping out step by step and saying 
this is what I'm really interested in now. This is this is where my life is right now. This is what I'm exploring because I'm not going to stay in some very small, safe little box because it makes you happy. Mm. Um, autism has been another one. You know, my world has been changed hugely by understanding that I'm autistic. You know, that's added a whole lot of new frames of reference and interest and need to share information um discovering that myself my daughter and my mother are all autistic like that's big so I'm going to write about that I'm going to talk about that but there's people who you know it's too much for them not interested don't want somebody kind of using labels all the time um and you know so so it goes on like each time I write a book there's this terror of oh god I'm in new territory now and how's the reaction gonna be um and also with my books, they're so very personal that it feels very vulnerable to be sharing this reality because it is my real lived authentic reality. You know, there's 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 editing. You know, I don't share every single thing. I keep the people around me, you know, as protected as I can. I just share my story as much as I can. But it's very you feel very vulnerable doing it, mm. um, very exposed, which a huge amount of women find extremely empowering and wonderful and some people are very threatened by and some people are, are kind of almost disgusted by and so you kind of have to learn how to navigate that which is tricky when you're a people pleaser yeah well and and when you're when you're publishing uh when you're publishing your heart and mm. soul and life mm. Yeah. And that's, that is your livelihood. This isn't, it's, that's how you, you, you make a living writing. You are mm -hmm. a published author. And so I can imagine the, that fear, especially with the, the first couple of times, right? It's like, okay, you, so now I've written Burning Every Woman time. and it was this Every huge time. success. And now I want to write about She of the Sea or mm -hmm. Medicine Woman. And will people come along with me? And, and will, and yeah. I think the reality is, and, it doesn't matter if they come along with you or not. Cause there's a whole group of other people who are going to go, I knew, I knew I needed this medicine woman book mm. and, and they'll, yeah. and they'll pick up burning woman after that. Mm. Maybe they'll like it. Maybe they won't, but each one, is, I see your books like beacons, right? Mm. Like yeah. floating in the beautiful ocean of books and just going, you need me. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and we use that language of creatrix. That's, that is again, like sort of um, like, uh, like creating an, the reclaiming or uh, the nomenclature of, of the words like creatrix, um, you know, which, you know, all of these things, punt, I mean, like put that in that mix, you know, all of these words that we've been taught to not say because they're bad, you know, and I think creatrix mm -hmm. is a, a nice bridge word of sort of an empowered woman um, who understands that she is, um, creating, right? Like we, that we are, that's who mm -hmm. we are. Um, but talk through that a little bit because that book, a, a lot of who we work with are business owners and, and creators, um, you know, and, and mm -hmm. that, that language is sacred. Thank you. So one of the main kind of strands of my work has seemed to be and continues to be a reclaiming of what I call lost archetypes of the feminine. Yes. So as women, we've been given very few things that we are allowed to be. We're allowed to be mother. 
Mm -hmm. So not too young and not too mm -hmm. old and not too many children and do it in the right way. Make sure you're a good mother. Mm -hmm. um, we are allowed to be wife. Mm -hmm. We are allowed to be daddy's little princess. Mm -hmm. We're definitely allowed to be a good girl. But there aren't many things that we are allowed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and artist throughout history has been a white man mm -hmm. and a white man with paints uh painting the acceptable things which often is women's naked bodies mm -hmm. women who want to paint women's naked bodies oh no <laughs> do you know what i mean um and so the box of artists has been very small very defined by i'm sorry i hark on about patriarchy but it works for me as a term it the works culture for us that is around us it favors men and always has done and gives us as our boxes that we're allowed to fit in ones that have been created by men for men so if you want to be a woman who fits into that box you have to cut off lots of your bits and then grovel to be allowed to get into the box and then kiss a lot of ass to stay in that box and then get an awful lot less recognition for your work, an awful lot less money for it, and then be very grateful that you're allowed to do it. Thank you very much. Until you get cancelled, because women. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so women have, oh my God. by our embodied nature, now this is going to make me unpopular with some people, here we go, we have wombs. <laughs> um and so these wombs are and i use the term womb space quite often because not all women have wombs and you know yes just because your womb isn't there anymore or you never had one you were born without one doesn't make you you know you still have that energetic space we have this creative space in our core and that creative space requires expression. For most of human history, that expression for women has been very limited to having children and creating a home, creating food. And yet in that womb space, in our creative urges, there is far more there. Our creativity has many ways that it loves to be expressed, including through our sexuality including through our spirituality, including through words and images and fabric and color and movement. And yet we have been taught that in order to be creative, to be an artist, you have to basically art is a very small box. You know, art is doing painting or drawing or something that's acceptable. And you just choose one of them. You're not allowed to be an artist and a writer. Mind you, that's just greedy now. So creatrix <laughs> is, fuck that shit. I have this creative energy in me that has all sorts of ways that it needs to come out. Mm. And most of them don't need to have anything to do with money. And they certainly don't need anybody else's permission to be able mm. to come out. I just mm. get to do them because I am human. I am a creatrix. I create, end of story. I don't need to be good enough to do it. I don't need to be an artist with a capital A to do it. I mm. don't need to have your permission. I don't need to have a degree. I don't need any of that. I mm. just get to express myself in this body with these hands in the way that I need to. Mm. Oh, 
Amen. And it's kind of revolutionary and very sad that it is. <laughs> well, it, it's so beautiful. And it also connects to that sacred spiral that you always put in that belly, right? Like that the womb mm-hmm. and the spiral, you know, that the, the, the symbol of that, that you were explaining is in, you know, on your books, right? The, you know, the, the symbol of that, the logo. Uh, yeah, the logo, you know, and that is for the yoga connection. Like that's our sacral chakra, you know, that space, right. Mm-hmm. Which is our, our, our place of sensuality, sexuality, creativity. And it is fascinating how disconnected, um, most people are from this energy because again, it was deemed as inappropriate or slutty or, or whatever. And so that work of reclaiming this power, this, this energy, right? This, this, that sexual energy is it's big It's big and powerful yes. and it's not very controllable once it starts bubbling up and out. And, you know, we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know what it's going to want to do. And, oh, you don't want a whole bunch of women going around doing stuff like that. or we do or we do right and that is exactly what yes yeah (laughs) well that's what we are we're tending the fires we're soaking the flames and for those listeners out there who are like okay they're again that sacred truth like if you have that tingle in your on your skin or the hairs on the back of your your neck and something is wakening up inside of you you know, it waking up inside of you, you know, it, it, it's time to just say, you know, enough is enough. Right. And figuring out how we can sort of create those sacred safe places for each other to do that so that we don't create, um, you know, my coming out story is, I just want to share it. I know that we're, we're running out of time, but like when I first came out as a lesbian, I, I, with my, one of my best friends, her reaction to my truth would have either sent me back into the closet or allowed me to be who I was. And she, and her reaction, right. was just like, okay, I, you know, this is, you're, you're still you. Right. But had she responded differently, I would be living a very different life right now. Right. Because of that moment. So how do we as women be that safe spot so that someone can be in their fullness Mm -hmm. and their truth? Um, yeah, and not and not send people back into the metaphorical closet, right? Um, whatever that looks like, you know. Well, absolutely, because you didn't you didn't become a lesbian that day, and that's that. I didn't become autistic the day that I came out. I I, I was always autistic. Yes. You know, we we you know, just because we show something to somebody doesn't mean that it's just been made up. Like it's simply a revealing of a more expansive self, which we have learned to mask and hide and cover up in order to stay safe. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, and, and I think that, you know, we all have a role that we, that we can play. It's us stepping into that role. And I think that Mm -hmm. one of the things that you've done, Lucy, with Womancraft Publishing is you've created a platform that, um, that rallies around, circles around, embraces women who have these <clears throat> stories to tell, who have these messages on their heart that no, no one else is, is willing to step up and publish them. And not everybody knows how to self-publish or wants to self-publish. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've, we've had, of course, we've had Molly on, who mm-hmm. wrote Walking with Persephone. Uh, we, this year we have um, 
we have both Stella and Sarah coming on to talk about their two books that launched this year. Uh, I, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of share your heart around why Womancraft Publishing and, and how it weaves into this, this sacred purpose of you allowing the burning woman in all of us to have a place. Mm. So I started out self, no, <laughs> I started out trying to be a published author and in the process of going around publishing houses, decided to self-publish some books because I needed to get them out in the world. And then I got a publishing contract and went with a mainstream publisher for one of my books and was very disappointed by that experience. And I wanted to create the sort of publisher that I wanted to go to, who was willing to publish the sort of books that I wanted to write and I wanted to read. And I couldn't find it anywhere. So if I couldn't find it and I'd, you know, I'd been a magazine editor, I'd, you know, I'd been working on social media blogging and, and, and that sort of thing. And then I'd learned the skills of self-publishing. I was like, I think I've got enough to, to try this, you know, as a small thing and to be able to offer those skills to other women whose books also aren't getting published by mainstream publishers, whose voices, if they were to get a mainstream publishing contract would be softened and tempered and just mm. made kind of more benign. And I'm really fed up of benign, asinine books. I really need <laughs> books with fire in them, books with truth in them, books where you can feel sparks coming off the page, where there's reality in them, where they are grounded in lived experience rather than some fancy, fancy expert trying to, you know, sell me their seven steps to total success like I am done with that sort of thing <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what I wanted I wanted to create a place where I could offer my skills and be of service where my books could have a place and be born without needing to get past some gatekeeper who I didn't agree with for not very much money. I, I was, you know, I was making so much more money from my self-published books than I was from my published book. And I was like, what's that about? Like, you know, I can sell these things better than a proper publisher can. So, so why not be rewarded for my own creativity? Mm. Why let somebody else take that money from me? I'm sorry, that's happened to creatives and women throughout history. And I say the buck stops here, like I'm done with that. So the, you know, our model was very much, we need to be paid for what the work that we're doing. But then the person whose book it is needs to be properly paid for their work. Like, mm. it just, it was so vital to me. And then also the, um, you know, just, I love book covers. I'm, I'm you know, I, we've talked a lot about my writing. I probably make images as much as I write. Like, word mm. and image are vital to me. I do all of the kind of the binding covers, internal design of our books. Like I'm the person behind our visual stuff. Yeah. Um, so like these, these covers I, are covers that you created? Or I have gone out and found, found that cover art, oh, you know, and, and, yes. and so 
and actually we've got a kitchen which a second kitchen which book called kitchen which companion which i've done all the illustrations for um for creatrix i did the illustrations for that i did the cover for that mm. i i love I love making the whole portal of a book so mm -hmm. that it is something that you can step through into this world and meet the author there, soul mm -hmm. to soul. That's just vital to me. So, so what we've done is to create a community around these books so that being, when you read one of the books, you're no longer alone. Not only have you got this book with this new language and these ideas, but there's a community that also shares these words, these ideas. So we've got lots of Facebook groups. We, um, we just build community as much as we can on every level through the work that we do, because I'm not just interested in making, you know, bits pretty bits of paper or interesting bits of paper. I want to use words and the medium of books to really help contribute to building a new, better culture, which centers the feminine, centers women's needs, women's voices, women's lived experience, which has been pushed down, silenced, ignored, denied for far too long. And so this is, this is my contribution in the way that I can do it, which is by editing and by by my visual skills and by community making so that's womancraft i love it well and, and i'm part of the womancraft facebook group and i love the engagement in there the and i can imagine as an author inside that community to to see your book not only uh, come to life to be birthed right amongst the sisterhood but then you have these fun challenges like okay we're gonna do a challenge around like this season so everybody bring your books out and take pictures and post them um it's been really fun to watch that so and i did notice something else earlier this year that you it seems like your process is to you like i'll call for all the books everybody who is interested in publishing something they send it in by a date and then you cut that date off so how does that work? So if there's somebody out there who's like, oh my gosh, I have this book burning inside of me. And I, I think Lucy would be the perfect person to help me bring her to life. What, what does she do? Okay. Well, so the first thing is we are a small publisher by, by in reality and by choice. Okay. Like we are myself, my husband, Lee and Sarah. So there are four of us. And none of us are full full time so we are limited by by our size by how many people there are mm -hmm. but we're also limited by ability like i am neurodivergent i am sick a lot i try to write a book a year because that's what i need to do for me therefore there is only so much we can do there is only so many of other people's books that we can publish yeah. and so the bigger we have grown in terms of our reach um you know we're we're around a hundred thousand reach now over social media it's like we got over 40 books for that last submissions open we publish four books a year okay so so that tells you and we have but we have prolific authors like i publish a book a year sarah publishes a book a year that's not many slots left mm -hmm. <laughs> so the first thing is 
the enthusiasm for wanting to be published by us versus what we can actually do and stay sane and be <laughs> sustainable in our own lives for our own families, you know, is very small. So whilst the spirit is willing, the flesh is definitely only able to do what it can do. Mm. So we open it once a year and know that we could probably take five or six of those books. They would be a good fit. They would work for us. They're strong enough. In reality, we can take two because that's the only space we've got. We still have, like, I've got two books through this week. You know, submissions are closed. <laughs> we, we get two books a week as well as that 40 deluge. Um, and we have to say, sorry, but no, sorry, but no. Now we had a very good book in this week and now I'm like we don't have any spots but I really want to publish this because this book really needs to be out there so mm. I break my own rules um to the detriment of my own health because mm. oh, oh my dedication to the cause is I want this book out there and therefore I'll have to just um yeah so it's tricky it's really tricky because there's an awful lot of women who's who love what we do, who want to be part of it, who, who, you know, know that we would be a great home for their book. And for many, we probably would be, but we just can't because, because of our, we are limited. Yeah. Mm. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I, um, you've given us a ton of time and I know you're not feeling well, so I, we probably should. Yes. Wrap this well, up. You yes. And, so, so before, before we uh, have Lucy read uh, from her book, um, what's what's next for you can you give us a, a quick snapshot of of what what we'll see in the next say 12 months so coming up is my next new e-course called structuring the soul of writing which mm -hmm. follows on from your authentic voice i've been promising this for at least three years maybe four it is basically the process of so I can't publish everybody's books but what I can do is to try and teach the skills that I have learned and that I know which is energetic editing it is how to not just structure in terms of the masculine way the way we've been taught the logical way but the energy of a book how do we structure it so that it really pulls us through because I know that that is a skill of mine with each of my books I the energetic editing is often the biggest bit because it's an initiated to reprocess to read my books mm -hmm. um and so i'm going to try <laughs> to teach how i do that so that other people can do that as well as just how to you know structure a book if you are self-publishing or you are you know putting it forward to publishers but there's a big bit of the energetic editing in there too um and as i said i'm working on the um illustrations and i'm co-authoring with sarah robinson the kitchen witch companion okay um exciting. I'm editing several very exciting new books. Uh, a fiction book is out, uh, the third in our trilogy by Gina Martin um, of priestess fiction um, called She Is Here um, in June. Ooh. And I'm working on several of my own book projects too, wondering which is gonna come first. <laughs> Ooh, I love it, I love it. Our, our book list will be full of Womancraft publishing books for sure. <laughs> Okay, um, Molly, anything, anything, any other last minute questions that you want to ask? 
No, not at all. I, I, uh, I can't wait to hear, you know, you speak your own words and then, um, then just let you go back to, to rest. Um, so. Yeah. All right. So what, what have you chosen to, to read to us, Lucy? Um, I'm going to uh, read you something from um, Burning Woman because we've been talking about it and it's the end. Um, so I have a lot of poetry, kind of channeled poetry <laughs> in my books. And um, these are the words that come through, which have immense power for me and for a huge amount of the readers. And it kind of is, it sums up the energy of, of the book of, of Burning Woman. We often fear that the revolution needed is too big for what we can give. Too much change is required, inside, outside, and we are too small. But all that is required is that you step into the truth of your life and speak it, write it, paint it, dance it. That you shine your light on your truth for the world to see. And as hundreds, then thousands, then millions do this, each sparking the courage of yet more, suddenly we have a world alight with truth. We are shifting ourselves. We are shifting the world. We are filling in the space where our voices were silenced, filling in the blanks where our images have been lacking. We are weaving her story into reality, creating their story, reaching beyond religion and patriarchy and capitalism and so-called democracy into new ways of being and seeing. We are the bridge between worlds. We are the ones we have been waiting for. So good. Oh, Lucy, thank you so much for blessing us and sharing your wisdom and letting us take a little peek into your story today. It's been such a pleasure and we look forward to following along and seeing what bubbles up, what percolates from um, all of this amazing content that's flowing through you, throwing, flowing through you in such a beautiful divine way. We, we love you here and we're so grateful for you. Um, we look forward to highlighting more of your amazing authors as well, and look forward to continuing this, uh, partnership for, for many years to come, helping shine a light on what you're doing. Mm. So beautiful. Love it. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful uh, rest of your, your day, your evening. And we, we send you healing pink light your way that you are feeling better and back to your bright self. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spilling the tea with Molly and me today. It was our heart's desire to provide a sacred space to learn and laugh together and to reset our mindsets for the week ahead. We do hope that you enjoyed hearing our thoughts and stories about our favorite people, products, and initiatives, positively serving humanity and sprinkling joy over their slice of the galaxy. Want to connect with us? 
head on over to those show notes and click on the links. Let's all confidently step into tomorrow, intentionally leading with divine love, gratitude, and faith. Psst. Hey, if you like the show, we'd love for you to click those stars and leave us a review. And don't keep us a secret. Share us with a friend. We love expanding the circle. Thanks. Thanks.